Welcome to Map It Marketing for small business owners who want to become more confident and capable in their marketing. I'm Rachel Claver, and I'm a small business owner just like you. I've learned that there are so many different things that we are supposed to do all the time. And trying to work it all out is quite frankly often very confusing. In this podcast, we're going to explore what those things are and whether you need to pay attention to them. Ready? Let's get started. While most of us use holidays to chill out and think of anything but business, Chanel O'Sullivan uses that time to plan out cool ideas on paper, napkins and anything else she can find. This was the beginning of her meadery, Borage and Bea, sparkling mead in a can sold here in New Zealand and gaining huge interest overseas. Chanel operates Borage and Bea meadery from her home in Glenorchy in the South Island of New Zealand, arguably one of the most beautiful places to live and visit in the world. I originally approached Chanel because I'm doing a series on regional business owners and talking about what that was like, but we quickly shifted to a really cool topic that I wanted us to focus on in this podcast. Chanel has taken business advice from other people as she's grown her business and taking this business seriously into a growth time. And someone asked her this question, what's your exit strategy? Chanel realized that she didn't have one, that she hadn't thought about what would happen one day if she sold the business and what that would look like. Understanding what makes a sellable business has helped her shape a business that operates better now in the short term and has real plans for the long term. It's a lesson for many of us that get stuck in the day-to-day running of our businesses and try to work out what happens next. I know it's something that me and my husband Rod talk about a lot. Is this the business that we're creating now that's going to be a business that makes us happy in 5, 10, 15 years? And what are we doing to prepare for that time while also operating a business today? I really enjoyed this conversation with Chanel. If you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you hit the subscribe button and if you gave us a review so other people can see uh, whether it's worth listening to first. But let's just jump in now and talk to Chanel. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to go through a few questions you can ask yourself to see if you can prepare for that longer term thinking of an exit strategy. Let's get started. Hey, and welcome to Map It Marketing, episode 32. We've got a great guest for you today, which you know about in the introduction, Chanel O'Sullivan, who owns Borage and Bean Meadery. I love mead, and it's fizzy. Is that right, Chanel? It is, yeah. So that's pretty cool. So first of all, before um, Chanel jumps in and introduces herself to you, I just want to say thank you so much for those of you that tune in every week and those that are new to the show. If you enjoy it, I'd love it if you make sure that you click download or to register and subscribe for it and of course if you love it please add a review because it does help other people trust it and know that I'm not a crazy cook I could be but you know I'm not really that bad so let's get started and find out from Chanel a little bit about herself and then we're going to start talking a little bit about how she operates her business from a place that is not a huge urban center which I think a lot of us actually also find ourselves in so it'll be great Chanel tell us a little bit about yourself and the business and how it got started Oh, yeah. So I was initially brought up north of Auckland yeah. um, and spent most of my schooling and teenage years there before heading down to a sheep, beef and deer station um, <laughs> on the shores of Lake Pukaki. So I actually always wanted to go farming. I'd spent all my school holidays on farms. And so that was my way to escape Auckland and head into the high country. 
So my background is very hands-on. I love working with my hands. And from there, in 2013, I started a Facebook group called Farming Mums NZ, which now has around 14,500 rural women as part of it. And that sort of sent me in a big journey through leadership development, personal public speaking, and getting thrown into this whole world I never knew existed or that I wanted to be a part of, but it was awesome. And then doing the Kellogg Rural Leadership Program through Lincoln in about 2016. So all these, all the things that I was involved with, um, I sort of take them all and use them now. Uh, Vet nursing, also before having kids. So I have- Common factors, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool. It's usually animal-based and it's all primary, primary sector-based at least. So from there, yeah, I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. We've lived between South Canterbury and the Mackenzie in the Wanaka region over the past Lovely. sort of 14 years. And at the moment, we, three weeks ago today, we moved to Glenorchy. Amazing. Yeah, from Hawaii. Oh my gosh, Glenorchy so, is gorgeous. Uh, I'm so, I'm looking at the mountains right now, and I know that 35 kilometres through them is the Milford Sound, and they're all snow caps. So um, it's exquisite. Yeah, it's I, um, I did a, I don't know, we don't, I don't think we know each other. Uh, know this about each other but I actually wrote two books for Penguin and one was called Men of the High Country about men older men like men in their 70s um, and some of them were in Glenorchy or certain around that area which is really amazing but I also wrote a book about farming women called She'll Be Right ah, and, yeah yeah I think I have yes, that or I have it was it, under my yeah, previous yeah. name Rachel Potter but um oh Rachel Goodchild actually sorry I've had, had a couple so but that was a book I wrote years ago about women farming women and my dad was a veterinarian and I was a vet nurse so I feel oh, like wicked which is really cool <laughs> yeah yeah that all makes a lot of sense that's cool yeah so I mean that's it all sort of crosses over definitely and, and I mean it was what, is, what so how did this the job how did this business start from that so my passion is I love designing businesses I, if I could just come up with an idea design a business and sell it I'd actually be that would be my happy place <laughs> But this idea came up, I was reading about an article about a mead company, one of them in New Zealand. And for me, straight away, I went, I was on the way to Tonga, actually, for my 30th, went and bought a notebook and started writing down all the honey to showcase New Zealand's produce seasons and regions. So I did that, sat on the idea for about a year, kind of thinking, I don't know anything about this industry. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? But I had a background of home brewing ciders and wines from the properties, the farms that we've lived on. So I knew how to make booze out of fruit. So I thought surely it can't be that difficult. So started playing with it. And I mean, yeah, my passion is value added products. I suppose you could say like I get frustrated sometimes when New Zealand sells our fantastic products that we, Mm. you know, put our country and our environment under stress under sometimes for commodity prices. So I love to add value to products that that need some attention, I suppose. And I, I saw what was happening in the honey market. The Manuka honey market changed. UMF ratings changed. Honey wasn't selling as well. We have a whole lot of fruit in New Zealand that is not pretty enough to sell, even though it's perfect, that could be juiced. So it's around com- combining honey, fruits, herbs, spices, botanicals to create, to tell the stories of our regions. So I love it. Yeah, so it all sort of came together and I thought if I don't do it, someone else will. So I'd better get it sorted. Where is it made? Where is the product made? So initially, it's this has been the bait of my existence. It's actually contract brewing. 
to set up your own brewery, you'd want a million bucks in your back pocket. And home brewing is not very safe no, when it comes no. to consumers. <laughs> so at the moment, we're brewing through New Zealand's biggest and best brewery in Auckland. However, there is a good chance that we will be looking perhaps at the Hawke's Bay next year. So, I mean, the idea is at the moment, we've kind of changed the model in the past few months. We did the Sprout Agritech and Food Tech Acceleration Program through Massey University, just finishing that at the moment. And the mentors and investors involved with that kind of got me really thinking and thinking that the way that I have it at the moment is very small margins. Honey is very expensive mm-hmm. to use. How can I look to add value and change the market, perhaps change the format so that I'm not competing with seltzers, which are made with like ethanol from the dairy industry. Yeah, it's different, right? Sugar. Yeah, like this is naturally fermented mm-hmm. over a long period with honey and fruits it's expensive it takes a while it's not a you can't do four batches in a day so yeah so we're here brewing through Auckland but I'm looking to develop boutique or micro metery in this region hopefully sorry I'm for those of you that are listening to the audio I have a ring light so that there's light on my face and it started lifting towards me the ring lighters are taking me so your product let's because obviously we have we've talked about that you create this product it's a Fizzy, mead-based, alcoholic drink in a yep. can yep. at the moment. Is that right? Yes. So single yep. serve, it's got that mead base with that honey liqueur, essentially, or honey wine. It's a wine, yes. isn't it, mead? Yes. Typically speaking, it's a, it's classed in New Zealand under a fruit wine for some reason because it's, it doesn't really have a It's beautiful too. Yeah. So yeah. it's um, all we use is honey, yeast, and water. We've went to this consultant who was a beer brewer who'd never made meat and I was like I want no sulfites I want nothing nasty I don't want any of this I want this I want this and he's like oh, all right Firstly, <laughs> like you're probably gonna be difficult um but it, I it was really I want to do things right right from the beginning you know I want to be a big corporation business I want to do everything I would love to have a solar powered brewery you know I want to make sure that everything is perfect from the beginning and so yeah no sulfites um just honey yeast water and then we stabilize it Um, that's amazing yeah so what's the alcohol content of the can are they five percent yeah so it is it's it's like a it's I mean it's lower than some a lot of beers right yeah, I compare it, when I explain it to people, I say it's it's like a cider. Instead of using apples, yes. we use honey. And But what we do is it's probably, even our semi-sweet mead is half the sugar of your typical cider. That's great. Yeah, and our dry mead is only 1.6 grams per can. So it's I think it surprises people when they try it for the first time because you think honey and sweet, but it's super, super dry, like honey soda barely taste the alcohol kind of um, but there's partly because the fermentation process I'm like I mean mm-hmm. I'm quite a pro at this because of course I've made my own kombucha so you know <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm thinking about um but essentially with that fermentation process it eats the sugar doesn't it from the yes. honey so that's yes. why it's not so sweet exactly so yeah. the yeast eats the sugar and converts it into alcohol that's and cool. yeah so the dry one it's yeah once I finally got my head around that I was like oh this is easy yeah <laughs> we let it eat out all the sugar until there's almost nothing left and then in our semi-sweet one, we do the same process and then we add fresh honey in just oh. as we stabilize it. So it's just slightly creamier. 
That's lovely. And yeah. so with the product, I mean, you're based, you're not in a, you're not in Auckland or Wellington or Dunedin, like you're not in those places. Mm-hmm. How have you built your brand around your product while you're still in a, like a populationly sparse, population sparse area? Like, how have you done that? Yeah, I think some of it has been helpful with past enterprises and past yeah. connections, but what I have come to realize that you you don't need to be in a city anymore to do oh. these types of things. Unfortunately, we have to contract through there at the moment, but I mean that's that's actually quite handy because it means that our distribution is a lot easier. Yeah, social media websites. Um, we've got sixty stockists nationwide, including foodstuffs North Island and South Island, Farrow and Auckland, more Wilsons and Wellington. So hit all those goals that I wanted to hit. It's, it does have its challenges. Like I can't go and present at all the shops mm. that want to see it. So I'm very thankful that a lot of them have chosen to stock it based on phone calls or emails or word of mouth. I've had some fantastic women around the country going, you need to stock this. Cool That's Chanel. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. So there's, there's definitely challenges with it, but I feel like there is no challenge that is not overcomable that you can't live, not live in rural New Zealand to pull it off. Because you mentioned before, you know, that it has, it's honey's expensive and those margins. I guess one of the things that around your model, which is mainly, do you sell direct as well? I will as of December. I'm just going to, okay, I'm just finishing which is the exciting. Process. But yeah. you've built a business where you're selling through supermarkets and things yep. where they, all they care about is getting that price down for them to yep. increase their margin. Have you found that a battle for you as a, as a business or did you factor that in right from the beginning with the cost? We did kind of factor it in and I almost was at a point where no one was pushing back and I was like, shit, maybe I've given them too much margin because they're all happy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they have margins they expect and because there are no other meads on the, in the market, really, there's a couple coming on now. There's no competition. So it's not That's like, true. oh, well, I've got these 200 other beers. They're giving me this price. So at this stage, it hasn't been a huge battle, but it's something to keep in mind in the future, definitely. Because I, I can't even remember who it was. It was, I think it was someone who was talking to us about working with them and they had a, um, I, I liked what you said about the ethanol because they were talking about the fact that their their product, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but they, they said part of the issue was they're fighting against all the products out there that have ethanol because ethanol is yeah. pure alcohol, but essentially it's it's just this chemical, right? Yeah. And it's a byproduct, and it's quite funny. I saw something, and it said vegan, and I was like, "But if you weren't milking those cows and creating milk products, would you have that ethanol? Is it really vegan?" But I was like, "Oh, not my problem." That's that's (laughs) a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, what are what's your role in the business besides obviously strategic thinking? Are you the person in charge of all the marketing? Sadly, yes, at the moment. I used to (laughs) love doing marketing for other people. Like that yeah. was what I got into and was doing for a few years. But it's very hard doing it for yourself, I find, yeah. because for me, there are so many stories among the brand that it's quite overwhelming. Yeah. Like I'm going with the buying from smaller family-owned apiaries and fruit producers. So there's that regional focus. And then we've got the whole Save the Bees movement and we've got Seconds Produce. We've also got, you know, we want to be a regenerative company. You know, there's, there's, I think there's about eight to 10 points and I find it quite like knowing what to focus on, who cares about what and how do I tell them about it? So yeah, at the moment, I'm everything except for the hands-on bulk brewer right now. 
I'm marketing sales, distribution, website, and like orders, trying to get stuff together for upcoming brews, making sure I have cans, can lids, sleeves, cases, case labels. Like last night in the shower, I was like, shit, the cases. I haven't ordered the cases. Oh. So it's it's like I, I'm creating procedures for myself because yeah. it's quite stressful getting to a point where all of a sudden I'm like, I don't have that and I need it tomorrow. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the day that I can have some people on board with me to look after the things that I'm shitty at. But I, I do think it's interesting because you said, you know, you love marketing for other people. I stand by the fact that it doesn't matter how good you are at marketing when it's your own business. And I'm going to say this for myself as well, because I've just had a crisis about my niche on Instagram mm-hmm. and it's taken me about eight months of struggling to work out yeah. what it was. But I have during that time worked with probably a hundred people one-to-one and been able to go, that's your niche and I can identify it immediately. But when it's yourself, it's much harder. Yeah. On my own personal social media, there is no niche. Like I've, I've seen how like when people have a niche, they're really successful in it and that's how they get it. Whereas I'm like mother on farm business owner entrepreneur love to help other entrepreneurs but then I love my garden I love veggie garden I want to grow regenerative crops we've just sold an accommodation business co-wrote a book like there's about 10 different things and I'm like there's no niche there my niche is being random is that a thing okay (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some strategic advice right now because I've just done it myself I realized my struggle was there was all the stuff that me as Rachel Klaver wanted to say and do. And then there was my business and I've actually decided, made a decision and on Instagram, I've split them. And I still don't really know what I'm doing with the Rachel Klaver, but just splitting it has made me happier. And the moment I created that other account that was just called I am Rachel Klaver, the minute I did it, identifies niche suddenly became, oh, that's what it is. And I don't have that battle anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah. minute I did it, the engagement shot up. Like literally it was only mm. two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, how interesting. And I've been struggling for all that time, but I think it's just that thing of going, of course you want to see that stuff, but you don't get to share that stuff until your account's really big. Yeah. But you still want to share it. So having it there is a good way of doing it. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I feel, I, I kind of sometimes wish I had a niche, but also know that. I love having 10 different things happening. So yeah. and and probably for you as a person, because it sounds like you're going to be a serial entrepreneur, having your own brand is probably going to be quite important because mm. you don't want to be tied to having it just under the B and Borage media yeah, yeah. because that's that's going to be your that's your baby now, but probably in three or four years there'll be one of the babies and you're going to have a whole yeah. lot of them. Oh yeah, I've got yeah. like uh, nine Instagram accounts against my name because I have all these different other previous businesses, current ones, or business ideas that I've got sitting there. <laughs> Hilarious. It's, it's complicated. But I mean, my, my long-term goal yeah. is to support other women entrepreneurs, specifically those in regional New Zealand, saying that grumpy husbands who are working on the farm all the time and not a barrier, living in but, hmm, nowhere is not a barrier. Having kids running around the house is not a barrier. Like there are ways to do it. It's going to be hard, but I want to support the, if you want it hard enough, if you want it enough, you'll make it happen. But sometimes the investment opportunities, the mentorship opportunities and, you know, monetary backing is the main thing. And that's something that hopefully, you know, in 10 years time, the idea would be to exit the Borage and B business, be able to pay back investors and then invest in others. So that's kind of the long-term scale, but I feel I had to create something, Mm. um, 
go through it myself before I could really be useful to others I suppose it is interesting and I think that's that is exactly what you have to do I think that people that have gone through it become much more powerful at transforming other people because you've lived it it's the same as like it's much easier to be a, a coach for parents when you've been a parent and had to suffer through endless nights of, yeah. you know, I think my lowest point as a parent was the time I was a single parent for one. I lived at that stage, I was living in rural Canterbury and all three of my kids got vomiting bugs and I had to deal with all three of them, like moving from bed to bed. We ran out of all the clean sheets. I was fine. And then they all got better. And I'm, I am, I am in the middle of my vomiting bug, vomiting into the bathroom. And behind me, I've got my three kids going, we're hungry. What's for dinner? And I remember yeah. thinking, this is the lowest point of parenting that I will ever go through yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. It's the same with business, yeah. right? Like yeah. you, you will have gone through the, you said before, you know, oh my gosh, I forgot the boxes, but there'll be the, do I actually have enough money to make this next batch? Mm-hmm. Or, um, oh my gosh, why is no one buying this right away? Or that person ordered a whole lot, but now they've canceled like all those different things yeah. that happen to live and breathe. That is really important before you teach other people. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a big good part of like um, not bringing on too many staff or anything right at the beginning because it's good to know how everything works mm. so that you have a better understanding when you bring in others. Mm. And it's like that classic entrepreneur chart you will have seen online, surely, and it's like the whole, everything's going well, everything's <laughs> awful. Okay, it's getting better. No, it's the worst. Like that's my, that's like my day. Like, yeah. should I even do this? Okay, it's going okay. I just got a new order this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's, yeah. it's like that. It's a journey. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're doing your mark. So you're doing all your social media. Do you do your own PR as well? I've had a little bit of help over there at times, but I've been relatively lucky to be approached about a few different things like New Zealand entrepreneur magazine has been a good one. Um, and some of the more B B industry stuff. Um, we've had, the New Zealand Herald, Otago Daily Times, been on the project mm-hmm. on TV. So there's been a bit tick away, which is good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I actually did have a conversation with someone about this recently to get um, something out for summer because the summer is, big is where the big opportunity yeah. is. Yeah, now that I'm a year down the track. So you're doing just organic social media for you? Like you're doing, and you're, where's your biggest following? Because I found you on LinkedIn, but I'm imagining LinkedIn isn't your biggest place. LinkedIn, I try and keep ticking away because I'm just hoping that one day some fantastic business partner investor will show up. (laughs) Instagram is probably the biggest one. And then Facebook, not far behind, probably. Yeah, Instagram would be it. I try and tick away on a couple of stories a day, but yeah, I need to incorporate a bit more of myself into the Borage and B stuff so that there's something that's like quite tangible and for people. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit beforehand is that's one of the things that you've you've kind of really, really recently discovered is that you're doing a lot of that kind of face of the business side. Yeah, I um, do that I on my own personal that. account and link over, but not on my personal, on the business yeah. account. I think that might be useful. And, and I mean, you live like in one of the most beautiful places, mm. not just in New Zealand, but in the world. So there's opportunity, yeah. isn't there, to have yeah. you and your product in this beautiful location. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I need to get some... Need to get a photographer on the on the job. Yeah, or, or maybe just slide a few products to other people who've got photographers so they can give you the great images. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. I made yeah. a list of someone I'm going to connect you with after the podcast. Oh, perfect. Because <laughs> um, so, also I noticed, you you know, you do, you've done a little bit of Instagram TV or or it's now called just Instagram TV. Instagram, it's now just called TV or video, Instagram video. But you haven't done reels yet on, on Instagram. Is no, that because you're nervous? 
I was, I used to be at like the front of all the social media trends and I was really onto it. And now I'm like, TikTok scares the shit out of me. I'm not getting into that. You'd be amazing because I don't want it on my phone because I don't want the kids to see it because Mm. they would love it. Reels, I need to teach myself how to do that. (laughs) I've been avoiding it, but I do see it as a really good tool because I enjoy watching others. There's a really cool, I um, interviewed her a few weeks ago, Jade, but she does quite a lot of what you could do, what she does with products. And I don't know who does it here in New Zealand, but I'm sure someone does it, is that she does a lot of stop motion product reels where, you know, so you could have things where it's like it's opening up and it's with a beautiful bright background and then it's poured into Mm -hmm. a drink and there's the stuff and that sort of lifestyle. So you wouldn't even have to show your face. It could just be like Mm -hmm. a really short video. I think those sort of things would work really well. I'll add it to my list. Yeah, I'm trying to add more work to you to add stress onto your life you know no so, I need to do it I just need to I just need to lose my Instagram real virginity yeah <laughs> well the cool thing is let me tell you this for you or anyone else is so I've just started this new account and I'm really excited because I'm going through a bit of a gluggy place with my reels on my other account because I'm breaking a lot of rules to test stuff out but I know that because Instagram wants you to do a reel no matter how crappy your reel is the first one you do mm. you'll get a lot thousands of views on it because Instagram wants to reward you for doing a reel. So they'll just push it out to lots of people. Ah, all right. Well, now you're talking algorithm stuff. I'm all into it. Yeah, it's very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> but yeah, if yeah. I make it good, that would be awesome because it means I'll share out the next one a bit more as well. But yeah, yeah. Like I did I did one that was just like snapshots of us going through Marlborough Sound on my personal account. And I think it had 3,000 views and it was just like oh. literally just little snapshots, nothing, yeah. you know, so... You can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm into it. So so you obviously you're selling here and, and you are going to start selling direct yes. this year, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and that would be still distributed from Auckland as opposed to have to be from you. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I have warehouse option in Auckland and one in Cromwell. Because oh. to go from Auckland to Invercargill, it kind of makes it a bit pointless. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. It very so much I've worked this out myself over and time. Have you, got, have you got worldwide domination in mind with this as well? Pretty much, yeah. A go big or go home, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've had some conversations um, overseas. Uh, Australia, I'm hoping Southeast Asia, perhaps Hong Kong and things like that. Like, like I, Yeah, I had no idea what was happening over there until I started looking into it. They actually care about sustainable products and where it comes from and the story. And not only that, but if I can put Manuka honey in it, then it's all over it. So that is the goal. That's why I'm kind of reformatting a little bit so that it's New Zealand suitable, but it's also suitable for export. And that that's the plan with the breweries that I'm in talks with is that they have those overseas contacts already. That's and good. that's what we'll be looking. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me hopefully it makes sense to others I sent out a newsletter last night after putting it off for ages and the general gist of it is that currently the meat industry globally is worth around 400 million dollars and the next four years is expecting to double to over 800 million Um, oh that's significant yeah so uh, in the past since 2017 there was 160 meteries in the U.S. Now there's over 600 with around 200 more waiting on certification. So that's why I committed to this because the overseas trends are booming. You look at Australia, India. I had a podcast recording with people, uh, two meters in India recently doing the same style. How awesome. Um, it, there's some in Japan that I know of. And then I had a podcast with Gosnell's Mead in the UK. They're probably one of the biggest ones in the UK. So it's this trend that's building and 
New it's made in New Zealand at the moment is where cider was 10 years ago. That's mm -hmm. the general thought. And I'm becoming more and more confident that this is this is the next thing to be a part of. So, so one yeah. of the things I really like about this, Chanel, is you have specifically you can you're showing me that you didn't just set up a business because you had this passion about this thing. Like you you had an idea, but you actually went and looked at things like trends what's actually going on. So you haven't just launched a business because you go, I really like meat and I'd like to make it or yeah. I want this sustainable business. You actually went and did a lot, a lot of your framework or base work was research first. Yeah, yeah. I think the research really helped convince me that it was the right thing to do. I mean, it was gonna, it's costed a lot of money and then, you know, I funded the first part of it. And, you know, if, if it doesn't work, I lose that money and I'm not a gambler. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I do not like gambling. Like I wanted to be pretty sure that this was going to work. And yeah, so it was really helpful to see. I mean, the US often sets our trends in food, beverage and fashion. So it was seeing what was happening over there and just the constant increase. And then I'm like, well, New Zealand has some of the purest honey in the world and people know it is like they come to New Zealand to buy our honey and our fruit and central otago in southeast asia you know it has it resonates so you put all those things together oh plus the new zealand wine industry also being amazing like it it's just like surely surely all these things coming together makes sense so yeah i feel like it's still oh, i still doubt myself every day but yeah it's kind of i've come into this loving it but also seeing it as a business like in 50 years time i don't want to still be doing this because there are other things that I'd like to work on as well. Um, and I want to make investors money. You know, I want to, I want them to win with me. If they're going to back me, I want to reward them by paying them back times, you know, many times over. So one of the things I really <clears throat> like about talking with you is I, I mean, I talk to a lot of small business owners and on this podcast and obviously with my clients, but you have actually created a business specifically that you, you love and you've got passion in it, but the passion isn't running the business. The strategic plan to grow is running the business. Yeah, and at first I was really torn about this. Like, I don't know if you've spent much time in Omaru, but there's Riverstone Kitchen and Scott's Brewery. Yes. And I want to smash the two of them together and create a destination meadery with on-site, you know, this beautiful place. But also at the same time, Investors are saying, you know, we're not going to invest in you if you don't have an exit strategy because we want to see our money back one day. Mm. So I've constantly had this clash of worlds of like, I can see what this can become. The farm at Byron Bay. I don't oh, know if you, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That, you know, based on that. So that is something that is still in my mind. And it might be that that still happens amongst everything. But yeah, yeah, long term, I want to make sure that others win. And I mean, the history, I, I think... Some people are like, oh, that's nice. You've got your little thing going on. Like part-time rangers, the alcohol company, mm. it was started in 2018 by two 20-year-old boys backed by their family, a bit of funding and stuff like that. They sold to Jack Daniels for $25 million roughly oh. about two and a half years later. Like, so there are massive players out there. And if you do it right, it will, you'll be greatly rewarded. And it, I, I'm kind of like, I know for me, it's like trying to mix that shallowness feeling of I'm just trying to make a buck with actually the reason I want this to be successful is because I, I, all I've ever wanted to do is be able to invest in other women in business to support them. And 
I can't do that without money. I can't do that without experience. And I think I want my win yeah. to help a whole lot of others win and create something that, you know, a network of people who understand that they can accomplish anything they want to. And I want to back them. I want to make sure that they yeah. feel confident that they can do that. But I think too, like, because Rod and I, we don't have any plans to sell identify at any stage, but we have an exit strategy in our business and the exit strategy, we don't have investors, so it's slightly different, but I encourage business owners to have an exit strategy because what it does is it's saying, am I building a business that is actually sellable? Yes, because yes. if you're not building a business that's sellable, you put up with a whole lot of crap in your business that you shouldn't have in there. Yeah. Yeah, in New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, I've been in discussions with them as well. They're like, the first thing this I met from NZTA, this guy came up to me and said, I heard you speak, what's your exit strategy? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. And he was like, you need an exit strategy. And that's, it's something that it's taken a while to get my head around. And the first year I was uncomfortable about this entirely. Like talking about exit and that made me feel like I was only doing it for certain reasons, but you have to that's that's how the world works and it's just about doing it for good and yes. like as I said to you you know I want to be a big corporation yeah I want to be a regenerative business I want a solar-powered brewery I want that's like huge. this the idea is to be carbon neutral maybe even carbon um positive you know, sequest more even you know it's just trying to do do business right yeah not do it I just said carbon yeah. positive but I mean the other one carbon negative I know everyone used it <laughs> so differently which is why I didn't say it I know. can I, I ask you everyone um, uses it differently yeah I know like I've had some work with B Corp businesses before and a guy I used to work with Tim Jones who's like is a B yes. Corp yeah I think I've talked to him yeah, yeah so I, I used to work with him so like I know like I know from that but do you just want to explain to the listeners what B Corp actually is yeah. I have talked about it too before. Yeah, I'm not I'm not any professional in this, but it, it's essentially, I think it's like Patagonia, for example, is one of the brands. And it's about like every single thing you do, you do it for the best of the people, for the best of the environment, yeah. for the best of the country. Like it's greater than yourself. And it's it's not saying you're going to be perfect, but like our cheer sisters, I think recently got B Corporation certification yeah. and they've got a solar powered juicery. Which is like, amazing, right? Yeah. I a big part of myself as well is like I don't want to shit on anyone to get here. Yeah. I want to be, I want to prove that you can be a good person and you can run a sustainable business and it can work. You don't have to push and push and push and push mm-hmm. and drain everything for it to for it to work, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to do it right. Athik is a B Corp as well, and obviously they yes. have huge international acclaim for what yeah. they Yeah, yes, um, I read her story a little while ago. It was great. It, and also, because, I mean, like one of the things I think that will be quite a big, like for a lot of the listeners to this podcast who think, well, investors, how did you go about getting investors? And did you make sure your investors are also aligned with that kind of impact type, type or sustainable business? Was that important to you when you were choosing investors? Yeah, so at the moment, the raising that we've done is the friends, family and fools nice. kind of space, which has been, it's been really encouraging to see that they they back me, not just the idea. And that's what I've been told quite a lot, um, is that you're likable, we'll back you. And I'm like, huh. That's important. Okay. Yeah. It is. I never realized like 
doing the sprout program you're you're in with a lot of investors a lot of the time and they've said you know we back the person before we back the business if we like the business but not the person it's not you're not going to get anywhere um so yeah at the moment the friends family falls i've just finished my large-scale investor pitch based on our pivot i suppose now we've got a three-phase part of the business and well we've got a pitching thing in about three weeks time that'll be to quite a big investors and international but I would rather it stays Kiwi owned at least yeah long term hopefully but yeah so the the big scale investor stuff is just ticking away at the moment I'm just firming up the adjusted forecasting for our new model turning my investor pitch into an updated business plan so then I'll have the pitch the plan and the forecast all labeled out really nicely so I can present it to people rather than going, I have this, but I haven't got quite, quite got this yet. Yeah. And that and, is yeah. huge. Like the energy that takes to make that is a big step, isn't it? Like you have to take mm. yourself out to create that, don't you? Yeah. I, I have to admit the business plan is probably getting about half an hour attention a day because yeah. it's, everything else looks easier in comparison. I I'm writing a book at the moment. Same thing. Oh, I know. It's like, <laughs> I'll clean the kitchen. I'll change the chef. That's fine. So long as I don't have to write this damn yeah. business Why plan. do you think I'm double vaccinated, Chanel? I want to do yeah. anything besides go. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like I need to, I really need to pull finger and set aside two hours and not get up off my chair. Yeah. But, I mean, it's all in my head. So it's just a case of getting it out. We've got a website being rebranded at the moment. We've got a product photographer coming on next week. So everything's lining up to be nice and pretty and ready to go. And I just hope that someone out there understands what what I'm trying to do. Ideally has experience in this kind of area because I'm just faking it every day. Um, And yeah, someone with like big picture thinking. It can help kind of bring it forward. Yeah, because a lot of investors in New Zealand are very tech-based. Yeah, and you they need want to invest in tech. Product Food is very attractive yeah. to a lot of them. So yeah. they really need to understand it and be sold. It's very different. Like I've mm. worked with quite a lot of FMCGs and they're very different to a tech. Like you, it's, you know, talk about the margins and the wholesaling and the bulk batch, batch ordering and the pre-ordering and all those things and all the different yeah. elements. It's really complicated. So can I, um, if you were... As someone who is going to one day be someone that leads us forward, do you have a piece of advice that you would give someone who's thinking about launching into something where they go, this is a great opportunity. They've done their research or they're doing their research and they're kind of make, finding it hard to take that next step. What, what advice would you give those people? Yeah, I think what I found really helpful is, you know how everyone says, look at the big picture. I'm like, look at the big picture, shelve it because that big picture is scary and daunting and it's advice and it looks unattainable instead keep your eyes down and do one job at a time because when you accomplish that job you feel a sense of accomplishment and that you can achieve the next one Mm -hmm. and if you just do it like that suddenly you'll look back and see all the stuff that you've done so even though I've kind of known the overarching goals to look at them I'm like yeah, that's ridiculous. I can never make it there. Like food stuffs paperwork it was like 50 pages long and you needed certifications <laughs> and recall. No. Like it was horrific. But once I got that done, I could then look at that next thing. So yeah, just bite by bite. Don't get overwhelmed by the enormity of a task mm. because when you break it down, it's actually lots of little small ones that aren't too difficult or time consuming yeah. and they add up really quickly. 
That's mm. exciting. I love that piece of advice. Um, and if people want to, like, obviously, um, this is going to air in about three or four weeks. So mm. it's not quite when things are live, but where would they come if they end from December? Where would they go if they want to buy your product online? And how, if they're listening in New Zealand, would they get it? And can they get it in Australia? Uh, not in Australia yet. Yet. I actually just sent some samples to someone in yesterday. At the moment, we've got a stockist list on the website, which is www.originb.com. Yeah. And then we will be selling through their stone, but we'll, we'll probably initially start selling by the case. Yes. Because that's the format that we're in at and the moment. And it's affordable, right? For you. It, it is. Yeah. It means we yeah. can make it a lot more um, yes. affordable for people to buy it in bulk. And the people who have been on board since day one, they're like, we just want a box. So that's perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, online is the best. And then we're starting to work on some other flavor combinations at the moment. So hopefully there might be things where there'll be kind of, we talked about Sheree Metcalf and what she's yeah. accomplished with Pepper and me. I'd love to be able to send out new product development boxes to people or chuck a bottle in oh, something yeah. that they can try it and say what they think. Because the next two flavors that we're working on is essential Otago apricot and wild thyme. Oh, so, so good. Apricots with a mixture of thyme and clover honey from Central Otago. And then the one after that is exciting as well. Autumn is my favorite time of the year. So we're doing an autumn harvest pear and ginger. Mm. So it'll be like sweet pear and spicy ginger balance. So that kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking to do. Um, Very New Zealand based flavors and, you know, things that remind you of certain times of the year or different regions, like Kerry Kerry oranges from Mm. Northland, Mm. something like that in the future as well. I love it. It's kind of like Whitakers with their... You know, but yeah. it's their different regionals. You feel like because yeah. we get we often give those as a gift um, to podcast guests. You'll probably get some. Um, <laughs> but the reason we do that is, especially with our overseas guests, is we're giving them a taste of New Zealand. So yeah. it's like a little space. I was actually going to say because I've started drinking the AF drinks because I've gone off alcohol for a little mm-hmm. while, and mm-hmm. um, and they're delicious. They are really delicious. Yeah, and I don't I've, drink. I drink less. At the moment, then yeah, ever. I'm really into the <laughs> the um the ginger ale one and the cola one, like the rum and coke and the ginger ale. Yeah. But she, I I saw that she did that. She had like the new flavors, and she basically said, you know, get these ones. You just pay shipping, and you get a taster pack of these two. Oh, cool. And I was yeah. like, that's so clever. Like I'd already just bought them, and so I didn't really care. But but I I was like, this is so cool because it just gives people that taste, and they go, oh, that's cool. I like that. I'll buy yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And it's also that psychological buy-in that you're a part of something and your yeah. your feedback on that counts towards what your we value. do the product. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I appreciate from a brand. And not only that, but it, it benefits the business because we get real life unbiased consumers giving us feedback. Yeah, it's really good. No, it's awesome. Hey, um, Chanel, thank you so much. Um, I've, I just looked at the time and went, how did that happen so fast? Um, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I really, I really loved hearing because I feel like you will help listeners also think of that next level. You've got that lovely big, big world domination picture in mind, but you're still very much the person that's having to do work on the business which is and in the business and that's hard like that's a hard Mm. balance um and I think it shows that it's possible to be doing world domination planning even if you're doing a lot of the actual work because and living in the smallest one of the smallest towns in New Zealand it feels yes and living (laughs) in the the smallest towns in New Zealand where you probably don't even have a countdown no no we have nothing no nothing oh yeah you got the dairy and you got that really cool gift shop yeah, Mrs. Willis, we've only got four, around 400 permanent residents. There's 33 kids at the school. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah, so you probably, can you, it, is your product actually available at the little shop? It will be. 
I yeah, yeah, will be, yeah. <laughs> so, hey. Yeah. Hey, I want to live here. Uh, I just yeah, wanted- yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for being a part of today. I've really appreciated it. And it's been lovely to have you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to Chanel about how she's planning for the future. That forward future thinking is so important when you're creating a marketing strategy because it helps you make better business decisions that also lead to better strategic marketing decisions. I know for us at Identify in our own business, when I have an idea, I have lots of ideas. When I have an idea, I have to justify it to Rod, my business partner and my husband, uh, to make sure that it's something that we are going to have that's building towards a future. I have to explain why this is working towards the goals that we have before us, because otherwise it's so easy to get distracted down a route that does not suit where we're going. If this is something that you might need to do as well, if you're looking at your life and you're going, I need to work out how this business is going to serve me, not just now, but for the next 5, 10, 15 or 20 years, then here's some questions that you can ask yourself to do that. Now, before we do that, I'd love you if you came and be part of our Map It Marketing group on Facebook. It's a really lovely place to come and ask questions, get support and ideas, and you get some special offers through the year for the events and other things that we run. So please do come along in there. And we've got a brand new website too called mymapitmarketing.com, which I'll pop in the show notes so you can have a look at it. It's not much on it yet, but there will be. Right, so here's some questions. What do you want to do and what do you want to be doing in the next 5, 10 or 15 years? And this is beyond your business. Think about your lifestyle, the way you want it to look, how you want to be spending your time. What is in you that might not be in your business now that you'd love to do? Get dreamy about this. Get really inspirational about the things that you would love to achieve. And then ask, is this different to what I'm doing now? And is the stuff I'm doing now potentially leading towards that information or that way that I wanted to live? To reach the goals you need that you have in front of you, would you need to sell your current business or could it morph into that business? And is your business a sellable asset today? Is it paying you? Is it giving you profit on top of the money that you work in it? And is it something that someone would see it and go, yes, I would be able to pick up and use that? Is it solely dependent on you as a brand or is there a way to transfer some of that power of you as a brand onto somebody else? Has there assets like email lists and digital marketing and all the other bits and pieces and return and repeat business that someone would want to buy? And if you are going to close it off or at some point move on to something else, would you sell it? Would you wind it down or would you shut it down completely? And asking those questions can help you think more forward thinking to help you in your business now make better decisions. I hope that was helpful. Now, I'm really looking forward to next week. I am interviewing a beautiful woman called Tony who works only with regional businesses in a place called Broome in Australia. I'm very jealous. When I did my interview with her, it was nine o'clock in the morning for her and she was about to go out for a swim in her pool um, because it was already 40 degrees. Uh, And she's a lovely person who's passionate about working with regional uh, businesses in the marketing space to help them grow their businesses. So we're going to talk about what it's like to work as a regional business trying to market your business both locally and out to the world and the complications and differences of that compared to working in a large city. I'm really looking forward to doing this with Tony next week and I'm looking forward to you tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in today to Map It Marketing with me, Rachel Claver. 
make sure you hit subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you want notes or information about today's podcast, go to rachelclava.com slash podcast for more information.